Hi, Alex. I have a surprise for you. Okay. <laughs> I have another bonus episode from Hong Kong. Okay. And it's about hair. Hair? Just hair. What is with you and hair? You're obsessed. We've already interviewed uh, Renee from Barberhood, and now we're going to do another hair episode. Yeah, another one. So this was Roger Ryan, who was officially, if I look back through all my records, he was like the first interview I did. And he's like not only a savant Barbara but and hairdresser, but he he deeply understands how connected we are with our hair. Have you ever done something dramatic with your hair after a breakup or oh, a yeah. life moment? After yep. every time I break up with someone, it's like, change my hair, either chop it or dye it or something. Yeah. Well, if you've ever wanted to know a good theory on why, mm-hmm. I think we should listen to Roger right now. Okay. All right. Welcome to this bonus episode of Maker and Creator. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, no, my pleasure, man. <laughs> this is literally the first real episode, as I'm calling it. Um, cool. I'm flattered. Uh, so uh, the the way and what I'm trying to explore is I'm, I'm trying to understand basically this collection of people I've brought around me and kind of my yeah. life, and I'm just like, what? How do we connect all these people together? Yeah. And it seems really obvious now that I'm at the other side of it, but it definitely was something creative. Yeah, very much. I mean creative's got to be the one i think the core driver obviously for passion yeah you know at the end of the day you can't have one without the other right yeah i mean you can have if someone was trying to be creative through practicality there maybe it's going to be a pragmatic exercise but it might they might not be driven to go as far as a passionate person and then yeah yeah unfortunately passionate (laughs) people also history has proven they they lose their minds they do this they do that they stumble across stuff but they persevere persevere i was talking to a client who's in the hong kong symphony orchestra i don't know if it yeah symphony but he was talking about oh i can't remember which composer but it was one of it's the version of the tailor's the ring that's the opera which obviously heavily influenced J.R. Tolkien. Oh, so it is that ring. Yeah, so basically <laughs> the story is about someone who has created a ring that has dominant right. power over the world. But the And they're performing the fourth opera, and it's six hours long. It's That's like, insane. Yeah, it's one of the longest operas. But he said, I think the like he composed the music, he, he designed the backdrops, everything. It was like a 24 or 25-year process. Yep. And you just go, oh, my God, you, you don't persevere at something like that. Without passion. It's literally your life's work. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I guess that's a, a really good place to start because um, I haven't really been introduced you yet, but no. Roger Ryan. Hi, uh, everyone. Hi. <laughs> Pleasure, uh, Joe. Pleasure my barber. Here. Everyone's yes. barber. Um, and how long have you been in Hong Kong now? Hong Kong, uh, just over four years. Wow. So That's right, yeah, because yeah, I think still, when you open... Yeah. The, yeah. Still a tourist, nothing <laughs> until you get your PR, so still a tourist. So, and you're from New Zealand? Yes, Auckland. Auckland. Auckland, New Zealand. And uh, how do you explain what you do now? What I do now? Let me think. I guess now it's very much a a very male-dominated clientele, Mm -hmm. but not exclusive to males. Um, You still don't have many women, especially in Hong Kong, that want to have masculine styles. The the shop is... um, it's not that it doesn't cut women's hair, it's just more the type of work we do does yeah. not really 
inspire a lot of women in Hong Kong. Yeah. Whereas if you go to other parts of the world, different cities, you've got a lot more women that because of their social circle, their taste, their interests, they will, yeah, you know, short back and sides, rockabilly quiffs, buzz that hair down, do a crew cut, whatever. Doesn't happen as much in Hong Kong. <laughs> but um, yeah, what I do now is just focus on... I'm very much into classic looks. Yep. I wouldn't say I do anything avant-garde or crazy or whatever. It's all about technique and getting nice blends, nice balance, haircuts that grow out well. You know, to me, that's part of a service. I guess yeah. you say it's like not a haircut that looks good for that one moment. And is barbering a, a separate discipline of you know what is broadly? Yeah. hair cutting sounds like a crude way to put it but it probably it's more of a separate discipline now I personally believe than ever before yeah mainly because the skill factor has gotten a lot higher right with the cutting I mean the origins of barbering there's a lot of disputable stuff but you know they even go so far as back as 3,000 years to Egypt where high priests would get their bodies fully shaved every three days. And it was probably some perv that wanted a young boy <laughs> to shave him. Yeah. You know, so like, well, but again, through a lot of cultures, the removing of hair was also the removing of demons. Right. So, yeah, you know, you have, then you have uh, the crown of the skull uh, and the scalp. That's very sacred to mm-hmm. a lot of Asian cultures. Then you had the Franciscan or, you know, Saint Francis of Assisi, once you'd taken your full vows, and celibacy was the main one, only then would you shave the crown of your hair right. out. It was probably to make you very ugly and repulsive, <laughs> so you could never have sex. Enforced celibacy. Yeah, it made it a lot easier. So you have all these different areas that are sacred. Right. And this is from centuries, if not millennia. But in modern day time, I think we are, obviously through science, we are realizing a lot of superstitions are just manifested by our own egos or dominance of a political power or religious power or whatever. But still today, some people, men and women, will, after a breakup, cut their hair short. Yep. And it's like... it's. it's, it's I think it's, I've done it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and it's, it's incredibly representative, the symbolism. Mm. I mean, we respond to symbolism everywhere. It's how we function. It's, it's, it's a throwaway point, but... it. It does make me and some of my friends laugh where you'll see uh, one of the women you know post a photo with a hashtag short hair don't care and I swear two or three inches is gone. Yeah. It is just, yeah, and I'm yeah, just yeah. like, ah, I'm yeah. sure it's a big difference, but it's... it's yeah, it's not. <laughs> I mean, again, that's such, it's such a personal, the way they've felt. I mean, it's, it's interesting because hair is a part of us. Yeah. It grows out of us. It's fed by blood. So whatever's in our blood, is in our <laughs> hair, all this kind of thing. Um, do I think some people take their hair too seriously? Absolutely. <laughs> there are far more important things on the planet in our lives. And personally, like, enjoy your hair. Like, you shouldn't... I just don't think you should obsess to the point yeah. where... I mean, that's, that's where vanity goes to an extremity. Yeah. Vanity is actually not unhealthy. Um, well, it has a lot to do with representation and compete, presentation. Even, and even hygiene. Yeah, yeah, no, of know, course. It's the fact that if you could not step outside because your hair is not perfect or you've got a blemish on your skin. Put a hat on. Yeah, <laughs> put a hat on. That's wonderful. You know? <laughs> but, you know, that's where vanity steps to a 
a realm that is self-obsessed. So, so what brought you to Hong Kong? And did, did you live anywhere else before moving? No, here? I mean, look, I moved from. I have. I lived in London, but that was like September '98 till the very end of April 2000. So not two years. Yeah. It was, and that was where I actually first transitioned from hairdressing into barbering. I'd hairdressed for ten years, moved to London with my girlfriend at the time, and I was just like. I think I did eight days of hairdressing. I thought, nah, I didn't come all this way to blow dry someone's hair. <laughs> Sit down, you'll be five minutes. Yeah, there yeah. we go. So I got into the barbering and like friends of mine who were hairdressers, they moved into the barbering in the early 90s. So I thought right. I was really lagging behind. <laughs> I thought I was so behind hitting barbering in October 98. Um, they were hitting it in 93, 94. And that was the main transition of school levels Right. That influenced barbering. Because up until, well, realistically, the 60s, you had the massive, 60s, 1960 to 1969 was a pretty goddamn cool decade. Yeah. For fashion, uh, politics, the whole thing. But you did have this massive backlash of youth culture talking about how they really didn't trust adults anymore. I remember yeah, watching yeah. a thing about the flower power movement, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, all that, and because uh, of course with all the casual sex that was going on, free love, there was a lot of sexual transmittedly, uh, transmitted diseases going mm-hmm. on. Doctors had a huge increase. I remember watching a documentary, on, it was based in San Fran, and they said, look, you know, just at the end of the day, these kids have just turned around and said, I don't trust the adults anymore because yeah. they don't know any more than me. And yep. with this, they started to grow hair, grow beards, you know. the Because the heyday of a barber, as we think, like in a barber's chair, like where we are now in, in your shop, mm. is, you know, the heyday for that, I, I imagine, would have been, what, from early 1900s? Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, yeah. The serious haircut in the 50s? I think probably getting to the point where barbers were reduced to more so just cutting hair, like right. doing shaves, cutting hair, selling tobacco, condoms, cologne, you know, girly mags, all that Man kind shop. of thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much so. Because the cutting of hair is just all that the barber culture from, yeah, 3,000 years ago mm. is all that we're left with. Yeah. But originally it was, you know, very poorly performed amputations. Yeah. Because uh, you've got a great story about um, where the barber's pole came from. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah, I mean, barber's pole was, you know, a bloodied white rag. You know, you had a lot of different... I mean, this is... There's many versions of this, so all you listeners out there, <laughs> this is just the stuff I've heard. Um, you know, it's the versions that are out there, like, they are mostly all valid. Because different countries and different cultures had different approaches. But dealing with things like, um, I guess, Western society as a generalization, dealing with the gold mine periods, all that kind of thing, you had these tent towns. And so, you know, you want to get a tooth pulled, you want to, there's an injury, there's these dudes with sharp implements, they will hack through your bone with a saw or whatever. So those were the barbers, but they also, they had the sharp stuff, so yeah, they'd cut your beard cut your hair but they didn't no one was trained no one did a good job they just had a stomach for amputation so were they barbers first or amputators first amputators right and Absolutely, so they just yeah. cut your hair because they got the tools yeah, if you if you the more you look at history 
in a photographic manner to while photographs are around and all that kind of thing you look at people's hair it's like wow man that's really that's a home job <laughs> because <clears throat> the I mean you've got different parts of Europe when you're looking at you know 14th 13th 14th 15th century you've got all the wig makers you've got all this kind of thing the hair underneath was falling out they had bad psoriasis you know they're wearing wigs there was not a lot of hygiene in the west mm. possibly in the eastern cultures there was more grooming of hair but mm-hmm. the hair was also longer it was mainly mm. eunuchs they would have their head shaved like so your hair did represent your position in yeah, society right. like a page boy <clears throat> yeah you know page boy in medieval days had his hair cut a particular way and they all had the same haircut which we would pretty much call a bowl cut mm. so everyone knew hey there's the page call yep. him over Go tell such and such, blah, blah, blah. Because that's what this, I'm, I remember you you're talking about this. So you had the amputees who were servicing these towns, and it was the bloody rags of their actual amputations yeah, so, out yeah. the front? Yeah, pretty much like a, you'd tie a white bit of rag, um, you know, with a bit of blood on it. It's like, hey, you know, we know who you are. Because, you, yeah, you mentioned that, you know, literacy was so poor that that was one of the only signs. Absolutely. And then something about the, the length of your coat? So there was, I think, no one ever quote me on this. I, I can't remember it clearly, but I think it was a French king. He was aware of the, with the surgeons or the pre-surgeons, they were spending more money on buying better medicine, better equipment, cleaner bandages, and they were practicing. They were charging more, but also their clients or patients were not dying of blood poisoning. Right. Whereas the barbers, they were. Yeah. Because there wasn't a practice of hygiene. And so I think if it was this French king, whatever, he basically put out a declaration like, okay, all surgeons, they wear coats that come down to their knees, white jackets, and uh, barbers just come down to, I guess, like the your bum, your waist, whatever. Yeah. And um, that way the illiterate could tell. It's like, okay, you are unhygienic, you are hygienic. So hang on, I think you've just taught me something else. Does the, the word barber, barber mean something else than I'm thinking it does? No, you know what? You've got me because I've never looked up the definition of barber. I have to do it right now. Do look it up because it doesn't sound English. No, like, it doesn't. The word barber does sound, uh, you know, whether it be Arabic or it definitely doesn't sound Latin as such. It's old, mean, old French. Um, any Germanic or... I know there was once with the Roman Empire, they did sort of say, I, one of the generals fought a battle, I, I forget who against, but because all the soldiers had beards and long hair, the enemy would grab them by the beard or grab them by the hair and pull them down and hack the back of their heads off. Really? Yeah, so they, he'd lost his battle, lost his conquest, and when he went back to Rome, he started ordering everyone, all the soldiers, to shave their beards off, cut their hair short... And there's a huge boom of barbering. Massive, yeah. So it was was a really functional thing at at first. Yeah, completely. I mean, there's always been the talk like with boot boy culture and skinhead culture from 67 to 69. You know, it was very much working class. It wasn't really aggressive or anything. Mm. You know, it was a functional haircut. You couldn't... You didn't have to necessarily go to a barber. You could do it at home. There's different... (laughs) I don't know a lot about the late 60s kind of skinhead boot boy culture, but definitely there's suede heads. We were more like a grade eight, which is 25 mils, different lands, yeah. different things. 
Um, and they they sort of carried on out of the mod culture. Right. Uh, but, you know, then you got into the 80s where everything got a bit more aggressive. And there was the idea that the cutting your hair short meant in a fight no one could grab it. Yeah. I'm not too sure about that. That was just <laughs> stuff I was told by... So, coming back again, you, you and I are classic for tangents. So, what brought you to Hong Kong? Oh, well, I will, <laughs> I will say it was a woman. Yeah. All it was good a moves woman. are worthwhile for them. Yeah, so, um, but yeah, yeah, it was definitely a woman why I came here. So, <laughs> it's, you know, hindsight's an incredible thing when you look back at your life and go, man, if I hadn't have done this, I wouldn't have done yeah. that, blah, 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 blah. And I've just ended up staying here. My first two years were not enjoyable years in Hong Kong Um, but my last two and a bit years I've been able to create my own Hong Kong yeah what I've enjoyed but certainly getting involved with um, this barbershop back in July the 2nd 2014 that's been a big part real turning point so getting to the the fun bit of barbering because as you know, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan yes. of not only you but yeah. barbering in general. Oh, look, yeah, yeah, everyone dies <laughs> possibly better informed than me. <laughs> well, no, you, you you've got all the ancient I've got, stories. I've got yeah, just sporadic knowledge, but you've got some good contemporary knowledge. You, you know, I mean, you're. I've just got the internet. Yeah, classic, yeah, true, true, classic. True. But your passion for straight razoring, for the grooming products, the whole thing is you know again like passion is the word. Yeah, you're not doing it because. It's going to get you popularity. No, no. It's not going to get you money. It's like you literally have this drive yeah. that it you is. enjoy, and then you share it with people, yeah. and that's a big part of passion. Yeah, it was a lot of fun being able to teach people during November how to, how to straight yeah. rate. Like that, that kind of, for me, made it... I never thought I'd enjoy sharing a side hobby of mine so much. Yeah. But I, I, talk me through your process, and I, I do want to be as... as, as kind of practical is when you get a new client in the door and they sit down in the chair because yeah. that was the first thing that blew me away about first coming into a shop is that I'd never seen anyone with such a laser focus and ask themselves so many questions or what I thought you were asking yourself a lot of questions and then me I guess, so what's, yeah. what's, your, my what's main, your blueprint my main there? thing is someone sits down you're obviously taking in how someone dresses um, you naturally look at their hair density and what I mean by that is the amount of hair they mm-hmm. have um, because that reflects in what are they asking for? Right. Can their hair do it? What's their growth pattern? Have they got straight hair, curly hair, wavy hair? Is it all these things factor into? Are they wanting a hairstyle that relates to their hair or someone else's? Mm. So there's something you got to figure out because if it's someone else's hair, you do need to explain. You can have the influence or the theme of this idea, but your hair will represent this theme differently in a physical manner Um, I ask people how short they want their hair that's a big thing because that's a comfort thing yeah do people want to see their scalp do they not want to see their scalp Um, do they do they find if their hair is longer like if they sit down say is there any area of your hair you're liking or disliking Mm. Um, most people know more of what they dislike than like. <laughs> or, or a better way to think of it is what they don't want. Yeah. If I say, what would you like? They go, oh, I don't know. What don't you want? Well, I don't want this. Mm. So it's very interesting to see the psychology of people know what they don't want. I have no idea why that is, but that's a big factor. Well, I guess, you know, it, it's that thing where it was a meme the other day I saw on the internet, like, 
I'll sit in a barber's chair for an hour and he'll say, how is it? And you'll just smile and say thank you and leave again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, there's a total awkwardness because you have got one person, you've got a person's taste asking another person's taste yeah. to try and understand your taste. Now, this is, it's all communication, hard, hard thing. Uh, and that's why certain people are attracted to different, whether it be barbers, hairdressers, mm. um, butchers, bakers, yep. bartenders, chefs, whatever Where there's an interaction. The interaction, but you've got such a similarity and appreciation mm. that you enjoy sharing right. the same, not belief, but shame, the same sort of desires, yeah. whatever, you know. Uh, the f- I, I remember the first thing you said to me, and actually, I, I remember when I sent my friend Ryan uh, Dawley in here with his enormous afro, and he said to me, the first ha- yeah. good haircut I've had in my entire life. Yeah. But I'll, I'll never forget you, the, the attention you paid to, uh, to someone's skull shape. And that, yeah. for me, I, I think I'd never heard that before, but I was like, that, it makes so much sense, and just yeah. no one's ever brought it up the before. The shorter you go, the more you expose yeah. the skull. Uh, the longer the hair is, the, the less the skull actually obviously is visible so you know yeah but if you're going to have skin fades zero fades grade ones you're exposing your bone structure so you need to understand if someone's skull is very wide down low you've got to think of the silhouette the black and white outline yep of their head shape blending with their haircut and this is where you advise people say we can go higher with that skin fade but mm. it's gonna look like <laughs> this yeah. Or if we stay with a low fade, then you're going to have a nicer silhouette. What are the kind of the attributes and traits that you kind of think make a good barber? Not only who you like to work with, but I think for, for anyone else who maybe is thinking about it, what, what kind I of think temperament you, even? You definitely have to have a temperament of, I guess patience is one word to use. Because you you've got to understand that you have a variety of different people where vanity has a variety of different levels. Yep. Um, so you need to be patient where for someone they're awkward they don't like even looking in the mirror being in front of a mirror is horrible for some people <laughs> and you're like, you know you're like well it's okay man no one's worried but you know so you got that then you got people who just can't stop looking in the mirror so you got all extremes but if you're patient enough to go okay this could be this first first time this person's having to ask about a haircut they might have always got a friend or a family move to cut their hair then you've got those who want to talk about their hair a lot so you've got to be patient in that <laughs> manner um, but I'd say to be a barber or a hairdresser because I will use both mainly because our material we work on is the yeah. exact same <clears throat> is you must have a in your mind's eye you must understand that there's a shape you want to create Yeah. no different to I guess someone who composes music Right. They hear it before they play it. Yeah. So someone's talking about what they want. So you've got to be able to see it in order to apply the right angle that you cut the hair at, whether to go this short or that short. And again, that's where face shape, skull shape, hair density, all these things come into play. But you want to have patience, tolerance, obviously passion, mm. as we've talked about earlier. But you want to be able to imagine something. Right. So therefore apply your skill level mm-hmm. and your knowledge to make it physically real yep rather than just applying a formula that has no consideration to hair density 
scowl shape face whether or not it's even going to suit someone yeah because you could say to someone you can have a short haircut don't go that short or you should go shorter because it will be a stronger look on you yeah um so you want to be decisive you have to make decisions for people yeah if you leave it too much to like well what do you want <laughs> if you get two indecisive people no haircuts really happen. <laughs> so so with the shop like you, you've just redesigned this one yeah what what goes into your environment like what really brings out your best work uh there's definitely a practical application to your work environment to allow you to have a fluidity mm-hmm. to how you operate getting your gear having the right amount of plugs having the right height um for your equipment is the accessibility to it definitely a barber's chair it has an aesthetic nostalgic to mm. it um chair doesn't actually have to look like a barber's chair that is the aesthetic side of it it's more the the fact the chair needs to function for height yeah it needs to function for maybe leaning someone back for bed trims for shaves Mm. all that so that's the practical side the aesthetic is just that it's like people like hey man just like an old classic car it's like that looks cool yeah and that's all it is i personally i prefer old dentist chairs to old barber's chairs the old dentist chairs for some reason i don't know why they just look cooler (laughs) and i'm not too sure why but um yeah your environment you want to have good lighting Mm -hmm. that's very important and what i mean by that is it's going to be clear lighting you don't want any shadow cast on the actual haircut Mm -hmm. and for for the clients i've worked in places where the lighting hasn't been nice on their skin tone yeah so for them they're like they just feel like it's a yeah so you know your your shop environment should also also be nice for the client yeah that's really interesting i've never thought about that but i guess if they don't feel like they look their best then they're all they might attribute that to their haircut yeah and just just the fact that they just don't feel good yeah (laughs) it's an hour in a chair where you just feel a bit miserable gymnasiums are probably the best where they have tinted mirrors to make you look a little bit more defined, <laughs> slightly wider and everything so your muscles look bigger. You know, you know, there's all that kind of thing going on. But they, even a gymnasium is very conscious yeah. of how their clients look in a mirror when they're looking at themselves. Um, so barbershops to a degree will consider that, but they must be pragmatic yeah. in the fact that like, I need the lighting to be good to see the detail of a haircut. And, and what about, like, if for anyone else can hear that at home, we're, yeah. we're literally sitting down in a, the real downtown Hong Kong, yeah. uh, a street called Pottinger Street, which you, there are it's a lot a, of... It's a good... It's a, yeah, I mean, this I mean this street, I think, traditionally was like a, at one point a herbal street, a medicine street. A medicine street. Yeah, yeah, I think there are a lot of doctors and people would come up and down, but Chinese New Year is only less than four weeks away, or yeah, it is four February weeks, I think. 16th. 16th, yeah. yeah. Two days after Valentine's. Oh. Hey. <laughs> And year of the dog, mm. who knows? But um, yeah, there's all sorts of noise going on. Yeah, and there's a dance troupe rehearsing yeah. in the background. There are people starting their nights out, coming down the other end. There's yeah, we're lucky where we are. Our street that the barbershop's in is pure pedestrian only, no traffic. But it's mainly hospitality. So mm. we're, I think there's ourselves and one other place. There's a fruit shop that does fruit juices. Oh, I saw that, yeah. Uh, yeah, shaken buns is hamburgers and us. <laughs> the rest is all booze. <laughs> so, but it's good. So we get a good vibe of people walking back and forward and all that kind of thing. So, so outside your environment, outside the way you actually work, what else 
like outside of the day job actually influences your day job? Oh, I would have to say for myself, um, subcultures. Yep. Um, just all the different street cultures that are around. Because they're the... It's the subcultures and the street cultures, which are often, I guess, born out of mainly people without money. Yeah. So you've got all these different kids, ranges from ages from like 8 to 14, and they're creative, they're passionate, they come from poor backgrounds, they're bored, they want to get stuff done, <laughs> they, they find this collaboration. They can't buy stuff, they've got no money, and they make stuff. They do their own haircuts. They do this. They do, they make their own clothes. They it's no different to garage bands and um, you know what, there's a good doco called Desert Age, which is all about the '80s um, desert rock bands and palm desert strings. rock bands. Desert rock bands like palm strings. I know we're digressing here, everyone. It'll be very quick. So Desert yeah, Age do. is a documentary, and it's based on all the bands that came out of uh, Palm Springs, and that you know these were all the kids. They would go out and they'd just drive out into the desert now they'd get sometimes up to 500 people really and that these gigs that were going on and they just play in the desert there's wind blowing around sand blowing up that have amps going <laughs> this is where groups like Caius came from and of course from Caius came um, Queens of the Stone Age and all this kind of right. thing oh, right. I know but it's so. a really good documentary to look again because nothing else drove this apart from pure passion you know that's where creativity and passion it is amazing how when when a space is created, yeah. that someone or a group of people will try and fill it in a, in a positive way. I mean, yeah, it's yeah. Like Most it's definitely. an opportunity. It's it's a channel. It it becomes, it, it's a redirection of all this energy that's saying, "I want to create something. Here's a space I can yeah. create it within," and Most that often shapes the output as well. Yeah. Which I think is one of the interesting things I'm trying to kind of wrestle through with all this. Is yes, people do things because they need a day job, but the the way people get paid for something creative or the the process people go to, to do something creative is is kind of this half serendipitous half need based yeah. where it's just energy pushing into open space yeah because when you think about creativity or, or passion it's like people persist as something that really logically doesn't benefit them in the social structure of a you know monetary based economy yeah they keep pursuing it they're not going to get any money or they've lost all their money they're losing friends or they're this or that but they for whatever reasons like they could get a job that pays more they could go to learn some kind of thing that will get them a job that pays more blah 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 but the reality is it doesn't actually give them satisfaction uh, and, you know and that's what I mean about the subcultures subcultures are born out of these people that these kids man just kids mm. that want this stuff to happen because that's what gives them satisfaction. Then you've got all your designers. They watch them and they not perfect it, but they, they manipulate it mm. to be sellable, to be high fashion. Uh, I mean, it's even like going back for barbering. You can look into the late 40s, early 50s. A lot of the, the quivs and the rockabilly influences came from the white trash kids. Right. You know, I mean, they were slick and they didn't cut their hair often. They didn't even bathe often. So they'd just slick that hair back and trim that hair off the collar. Yeah. <laughs> but everything was slicked back, you know, from anything from using Vaseline, like petroleum jelly, to using some car grease. Yeah. <laughs> you know, literally the term greaser. 
Um, yeah, they weren't buying hair products. You know, <laughs> like what we do today is very la di da. Yeah, and reinvent replicas of grease yeah, all the you time. Know, but yeah. these hairstyles were coming out no different to the flat. If you think of a flat top coming out of the army and all that, if yeah. you just let a flat top grow for a year, you've got a greaser's haircut. Yeah, you know, because <laughs> I gre- never thought about yeah, that. Yeah, you think of that because greasers also didn't cut the back of the hair right. every time. Yeah, you know, which today we'd call a mullet. <laughs> So you've got all these different sort of cultures and, you know, back in the early 20th century, you had all the African-American culture mm-hmm. were straightening their hair, yep. slicking it down, wearing zoot suits and all this kind of thing. And, I mean, you can digress and all the subcultures, zoot suits was a real negative because um, a lot of the Puerto Ricans wore them, yep. this kind of thing. And people were beaten up for wearing zoot suits back <laughs> in the 30s and that, you know, it was, it was a very racial tension yeah. thing and it was just crazy. It's 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 fascinating, you know. I think you touched on it before as well. The kind of like the, the sacrifices that people are willing to make. Do you, do you think there are any yeah. sacrifices from a, a barbering point of view that, are, sacri- that are apparent? Yeah, the sacrifice you make is you're not going to retire early. <laughs> you know, like if you, you know, I started this. I was a month into being 17 when I started and I thought I was old because my friends were starting at 16 so I thought <laughs> oh man I'm so old <laughs> haven't started working till I was just turned 17 but you don't if you don't get a white collar job mm. you don't really think about retiring but at the same time if I was still cutting hair at 65 I'd think fucking cool man yeah. I'd actually dig it because I would feel still connected with two generations I'd feel just in, still in tune and I'd still be doing something I love. I might not be doing it for as, the same amount of hours, mm. but that's the difference with a job and something you're passionate yeah. about is that if you were still doing it when you're old, it doesn't actually depress you. Yeah. So, well, I think you hit the nail on the head when you just said it keeps you connected to so many generations because it, yeah. it would keep you young is the wrong phrase to put it, but because it would actually span you even longer. Like your, yeah. co- your context for style fashion trends but then also the people within that and then just day-to-day life would be so constantly yeah, you, relevant than being lost of, in a cubicle here as some wanker bank you're doing right? kind of grandfather time because you've got clients that you who's know, your oldest client that's a good question for you. uh hong kong or how, how old's your oldest client that's probably a better way to i don't put. know hong kong i don't know maybe in their 70s who's your youngest client and hong kong not that young only probably maybe be 10 or 12 oh that, that that's pretty that's just pretty that's, that's 60 years that's yeah that's pretty <laughs> but like you know you do have times where you know you'll be in a shop and it hasn't happened here yet but you go man haven't seen blah 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 and like yeah man he died oh so you're used to the fact that you do go through yeah again grandfather time stuff where wow. you've got representations of age yeah every single day because you've got all the generations coming in um Definitely in other cities where you've got a wider mix. So Hong Kong's a little bit detached. We have a very expat community clientele base. Yeah. So we mainly deal with white collar or university graduates. Whereas in most barbershops I work in, I deal with unemployed students, laborers, blue collar, white collar, retirees. You know, and sometimes, you know, halfway homes. Not so much anymore, but, you know, you used to have some good old crazies come in. Yeah. And our golden rule was, can't be drunk. Yeah. That was it. You know, if they came and drunk, said, nah, got to get out, you can't be drunk. We'd cut their hair and, was it clean? Not one bit. But you had some crazy kind of stuff going on. So, 
it was good, but that doesn't happen quite so much in Hong Kong. Yeah, you know, it's a little bit more reformed. Yeah. So no, I, I think you've even just opened my eyes to so much stuff that I, I didn't even think that you would be exposed, exposed to. Yeah, yeah, but that's 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 insane. Well, well, I, I guess my only other question is kind of yeah. what, what's going to keep you going? What what keeps you, what keeps you wanting that relevance? I think literally because you're allowed to express yourself. Yeah. Like that's the main thing, both with, obviously with your work mm. and the thing with cutting hair or someone who sculpts yep. with clay or marble, wood, stone, whatever, you can always get it wrong. Yeah. So you have to continually keep trying. Yeah. Yeah, it's not like if you, if you grab a keyboard and you punch in a certain equation, you will, if, so long as you do that exact equation most of the time you're always going to get the same result yeah it will not deviate but every single you can never ever replicate the same haircut it's all handmade it's all original huh. you know naturally clients say i love the last one do it like that and the honesty <laughs> of it is we can't <laughs> and we can't because yeah. our own body is changing mm. our nervous system our muscle system eyesight hearing our response to and even our muscles. Your we, clients we, are changing as well. Yeah, clients are changing. Their, like the their hair, hair density, their skull shape is yeah. changing, the whole thing. So the problem is like nothing is ever the same. Mm. It's always different. Mm. And so long as people know it. So the um, sorry everyone, we just got <laughs> asked if we could do a haircut, but obviously we can't. <laughs> It did not seem logical to them that we were talking into microphones. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it'll keep me going because purely you can be creative, you can express yourself. Yeah. Um, and you can always keep being better. I mean, yeah. that's why some people play golf. Yeah. Because they know they can always play a better game, yeah. all that kind of thing. But the for me, looking back to being 17 years of age, I got to grow up in an environment that was full of liberties yeah now it wasn't that i was radical or anything but suddenly you you grew up where there's no judgment on sexuality drugs alcohol whatever um so that was the interesting thing that because there was nothing forbidden there's also nothing to try and achieve to make you feel like a rebel yeah you know so it was it was quite cool it's not for everyone's yeah kids shall we say but any child that was wanting to be creative um, and deal with people, this could be one of those professions. I just love that idea of this, you know, this ever-changing canvas that you have to work with and that it's yeah. completely, you can't replicate what you just before. No. I've, I've, again, I've, I've never thought about it that way. I think it's, I think it's well, fantastic. Like yeah. That would drive you. Like just It does, but it, it obviously that's what is the hardest thing for a client yeah. to understand, that <laughs> nothing will ever be the same. <laughs> Um, whereas for us it's like well yeah it's always going to be different you try to apply the same attitude or the same approach to your uh, professionalism mm. but everything is always different oh, that's amazing no. thanks man hey, I really appreciate welcome. it no, Jai is really one of my oldest clients everyone <laughs> very good thank you Jai thank you man you're welcome <laughs>